Welcome to the Mike Smith Show podcast. This is your one-stop shop for all the latest happenings in BC. From breaking news and developing stories to giving the big headlines a closer look, the Mike Smith Show is here to keep you dialed in and up to date. Let's begin. We start with the healthcare system here in British Columbia and across Canada. Is there too much privatization going on? In the healthcare system, we have a big private sector component in healthcare in BC right here. And check out what they're doing in Ontario. Ontario Premier Doug Ford announcing more private clinics will be involved in testing and surgical procedures. This is a hot topic in the House of Commons. Got Don Davies standing by. First, have a listen here. NDP leader Jagmeet Singh facing off against Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. Have a listen. In the last election, the Prime Minister made a really big deal of calling out the Conservatives for proposing the idea of bringing in more for-profit private health care. But now when Doug Ford is doing exactly that, mm-hmm. he's calling it innovation. Uh, moving forward on backlogs, supporting Canadians who need uh, emergency care, uh, we will ensure that the Canada Health Act is fully respected. Okay, so using private clinics to reduce that backlog. Let's discuss this now with my guest, Don Davies, NDP MP for Vancouver Kingsway. He's the NDP critic for health, and I'm very pleased to welcome him back. Hey, Don, thanks for coming on. Always great to be with you, Mike. Okay, likewise, great to have you here. So let's talk about this hot issue in Ottawa now, and I know this is top priority for you. Tell me what happened here in Ottawa. There was a vote on this, right? Yeah, well, obviously healthcare is a top priority for Canadians. You know, we just went through the pandemic, uh, and I think that exposed a lot of issues that were longstanding in the in the healthcare system, and it's top of mind to Canadians. So we used our opposition day motion to to put a motion before Parliament that would uh, call on the government to allocate the additional funds that they've just announced for the provinces to ensure that all of the public dollars go to our public health care system and also that we uh, do not uh, favour and we, in fact, actively oppose two-tier access to care. So that was the motion that we put on the House, uh, Florida House Commons, and we voted on it yesterday, so, and that's what happened. Yeah, and so you believe that this, like a two-tier system is is happening in Canada like there's more private private care is going up we we we've heard a lot about what's happening in Ontario what are your concerns there well let's let's uh, put it in context first so there's no question that our healthcare system is in crisis uh you know um we have emergency rooms that are stuffed and you know people are being treated in hallways and frankly in some parts of the country in portables outside of emergency rooms about 6 or 7 million Canadians can't get access to a family doctor which is the main portal into our healthcare system, and wait times are too long. So nobody's happy with the status quo. The question, Mike, is what do we do about it? How do we fix this? And we say uh, we don't need more private for-profit delivery of care. What we need is more investment in our public system. I want to give you a couple of shocking statistics. In the 1970s, Canada had 6.9 hospital beds per 1,000 people. Today, 2.5. We have near the very bottom of the OECD, uh, countries in the number of physicians per thousand and in nurses, by the way, and we're near the bottom in wait times. So for us, we think we need more doctors, especially family doctors, more nurses, more hospital resources, more community clinics, and more team-based care. And that doesn't mean we shouldn't be innovative and try new things. It just means we need to be investing in our public system, not into private for-profit well- care. Okay, what would you say to Canadians, though, who I think largely agree with you that the system is in a bit of a crisis situation here? I was taking a look at a very recent Ipsos poll that said 85% of Canadians think the system is basically in a a disaster mode right now. But then they also asked, would you like to have the option to buy private insurance, get private health care that you pay for yourself through private insurance? And guess what? 60% of Canadians in this poll said that they would like that private option. So let me play a clip here for you, Don. I, I spoke to a previous guest here on the show, Doug Andrew, BC man, was on a wait list for years trying to get surgery for his knee. He said to heck with it. He went to Mexico uh, to get his surgery instead. Here's what he had to say to me. Then I'll get your thoughts on it. Oh, you wouldn't believe the facilities, Mike. They're absolutely state-of-the-art. Absolutely state-of-the-art. And I was so impressed with this, this orthopedic surgeon when I met him. Boy, I tell you, I was just, just blown away. Um, I'm not complaining with my Mex- or my Canadian surgeon either. He's really good, too. But, 
Yeah. You know, another two years. I, I can hardly walk some days. Like, it's just ridiculous. So here's a guy, Don, who's saying, I've waited and waited and waited for surgery, and I'm just not getting it in the public system. And he's saying, like, to hell with it. I'm, I'm leave, going to Mexico. I'm paying for it. Like, why shouldn't people have the option to buy some private insurance? Well, I totally get that, you know, and, um, you know, lots of Canadians are in that position, and I totally understand why they would feel that way. Um, the problem is this, is that um, if you allow that system, if you allow people to jump, jump the queue and be able to purchase their way, in effect, to the front of the line, then what is the impact on the public system? And the evidence is crystal clear. This isn't just an ideolo- my ideology. It's what the evidence shows is that private pay may reduce wait times for those who can afford to pay, but it worsens wait times in the public system. Like, think of this, Mike. We have a shortage of doctors right now. A shortage of orthopedic surgeons, like, like the, probably the person who performed surgery on, on that, uh, that person you just referred to. Um, someone's got to do that surgery. So if that doctor is seeing the person who can pay, then that's one doctor who's out of commission who's not seeing the, the person in the public system. We have a shortage of doctors. So, um, in fact, that's why in the cavity wow. surgeries case that went to the Court of Appeal, they exhaustively reviewed this evidence and examined those very arguments. You know, why should we just let people, by the way, to the front, and this will clear up space in the public system? It's because they found time and time again that it drains resources from the public system, makes wait times longer for everybody else, and uh, creates a two-tier access to care like the United States, well, which I don't well, think Canadians want. Okay. Speaking of the Canby Surgery Center, let me play a clip here for you, also from an earlier show. This is Dr. Brian Day, who is probably the most prominent advocate for private health care in Canada, the founder of the Canby Surgery Center. And I had him on a show here recently, and we were talking about private health care. We were talking about the NDP campaign on this. Your, your party leader's name came up, Jagmeet Singh. Have a listen to what he said here about Jagmeet Singh, then I want to get your thoughts. This is Dr. Brian Day. Have a listen. Jagmeet Singh went to one of the most expensive private schools in North America. And, uh, you know, does anyone suggest that, that those that independent schools and private schools across Canada should be closed down? It, it's a ludicrous situation. What do you think of that comparator that if your party leader, Jagmeet Singh, you know, chooses to his family send him to a private school for a lot of money, that that's OK, but spending money on your own health care is not OK? What do you say to that? Well, I think he's just trying to change the channel. I mean, Dr. Day had a chance to make all those arguments before the B.C. Supreme Court Court of Appeal. He lost three to zero, Mike. Uh, three to zero at the Court of Appeal. Uh, you, don't get a, you don't get a worse uh, uh, defeat than that. And, you know, trying to make an analogy to a different system is not helpful. The issue here is uh, medical care is expensive in Canada. Um, you know, we have to ration it in some form. So the question is, is do you ration it based on need? And equality or deration based on uh, on wealth. Mm. And I mean, you know, Dr. Day's happy. And by the way, he was violating the Canada Health Act by double dipping. He was billing mm. both the the public system and private, and and frankly was was not uh, disclosing that. So so the real issue here is I want to build a world class healthcare system in Canada where all Canadians get timely access to care, and I think we can do it. Like well, I, I, we, not, we already responded about that. Let's let's do it. But let's invest in our public system, which needs a I think it needs a, an injection, a renaissance to, to build the system that our grandparents built. But we need to take it to that next level. Where is the two tier system that's evolving in Canada that you're, you're so worried about? Like if you talk about what's going on in Ontario, where they've expanded the role for private clinics for people. You know, the government has said consistently they're not breaking the rules here. They're not breaking the Canada Health Act. Nobody's being asked to double double bill. You're not paying user fees. It's all covered. What's wrong with that? You you sort of see that as a thin edge of a privatization wedge there, or what's what's exactly. the what's the problem with no, that? That's yeah. exactly it, Mike. And by the way, most healthcare is delivered privately. I mean, a doctor's right. office is private. I mean, sure. so we're not talking about that. We're talking about if, if the government's investing money, do we want to do that to bulk up our hospitals and build community clinics and, and you know, build more medical schools and nursing schools? Or do we want to divert that money to, the, say, the private sector, who will then put a profit motive in it? And by the way, nobody talks very much about that. When you have a private a profit motive, and nobody's doing this out of the goodness of their heart, you know, what's their profit, 10%, 15%? You are now diverting a portion of the healthcare dollar to profit. And by the way, 
administrative costs are much cheaper in the public system. Uh, I saw some numbers recently that are kind of shocking. In the United States, they spend about 31 cents out of every dollar on administration. And here in Canada, it's about 17 uh, cents overall and 1.3 cents to our Medicare system because we have streamlined administration. You know, our hospitals are very efficient. Like, I don't know if you've been to a hospital for an operation lately, but, man, they get you in, they get you, they get you scheduled, you get in, you get you prepped, you're into surgery, and, boy, they're trying to get you out of there as soon okay. as possible. So, you know, there's, it's a lean system. We just need to invest in our public system. And, okay. and private for-profit care is going to make the system worse. Don Davies, thank you for your time today. I appreciate it. Always a pleasure, Mike. Okay, here we go now with the top 10 scams and ripoffs out there. And everyone is a target for the scammers. Everyone out there has received the emails, the text messages, the phone calls. The scams are everywhere. They're getting more sophisticated as well. More and more people are falling for these scams. Now, what are the top scams out there? The brand new top 10 list just out from the Better Business Bureau. Got Simone List standing by to discuss. Now, at the top of the list here, home renovation and home maintenance scams. That's the top of the list here. Have a listen to this report now from Global News reporter Jamie Marocker. Jennifer Taylor thought she was getting a deal when she hired a company called London Wide Power Washing to work on her walkway. They did do a good job. But afterward, the men asked for $2,000 more, saying they had begun work on the front area as well. To which my husband responded, okay, let me check the surveillance footage and see if you did that, um, which they got flustered and retracted that statement and said they had actually just bought supplies. Uh-oh, check the uh, surveillance footage, and then the scam kind of fell apart. Uh, that story went on to explain that these home home maintenance scammers were working the whole neighborhood there, going door to door, uh, trying to scam people. Okay, let's talk about the top 10, top 10 scams and ripoffs out there with Simone Liss, President and CEO, Better Business Bureau of, C, of BC. Simone, thank you for coming on again. No, I'm glad to be here. It's a really important topic, especially during Fraud Prevention Month here in, in Canada. Absolutely, and I think you guys do a great job on this with your scam tracker and keeping the public informed. So let's, let's talk about the top 10 list here. So let's talk about the, the, home, the home maintenance, home renovation scams. That's number one, right? Yeah, with uh, I mean, when we determine the top 10 riskiest scams, what we look at is we look at the number of times people are exposed to scams and when exposed to scams, how susceptible they are to losing money and then, of course, the average median loss. And so all of these things come together to create what we call the BBB risk index. And so home improvement was our number one riskiest scam in Canada because it has a high susceptibility rate, meaning that uh, when people are exposed to it, uh, they're more likely to fall prey to it and a high median loss of about $1,900. Wow. Wow. So that's kind of like the average loss that people get burned in these type of scams. 1900 bucks. Absolutely. I mean, it, wow. if you think about it, I, you know, the, what you were describing is quite common with uh, people going door to door, the feeling like you're going to miss out on an opportunity if you don't take advantage of it right away. And then I also think about the triple threat of it's really hard now to find a, a contractor who isn't busy. Um, and so maybe right. that means you let your standards slide, which ultimately end up meaning that you'll be out of pocket. So we have to be really, really careful. Right. Everyone's looking for a deal, too. Like, if so if someone comes to your front door and says, hey, I can power wash your driveway for, you know, a, a very reasonable amount, and people are going to be thinking, like, okay, this is a good deal. I'm going to go for this. But how do you, um, how do you protect yourself against something like that? Like, Facebook is another one. I think if people are looking for a painter or a gardener or something... You go on Facebook and there's tons of people there saying, yeah, sure, I can do this work for you. But how do you know? How do you know if they're not a scammer? Well, and that's the thing is that you've got to take some time to really explore who you're looking at. I mean, a lot of times these scammers aren't just scamming you. They're also scamming their, your neighbors as well. And that can add some credibility to their offering if they've just done your neighbor's front yard or they've just done your neighbor's roof. Um, and so it really is you taking the time to investigate 
the business to make sure that when you give them your money that they're going to be here for you tomorrow, especially if it's not just about, you know, something uh, home maintenance, but something that you're going to need a warranty for if something goes wrong. So I think it's really important for you to do things like come to the BBB, uh, see what kind of track record they have, making sure that they have their business license to operate, that you know where to contact them, that they have an address. Um, You know, because if you just give them money at your door and then they disappear, you have no way of tracking them down. Right. Speaking of Simone List, Better Business Bureau, talking about the top scams and ripoffs out there. Taking a look down the list, Simone, cryptocurrency scams in at number two. Let's go to number three here, advance fee loans. Advance fee loan. What is that? An advance fee loan is where you apply for money thinking that you're going to get a loan. Um, But in order to get that loan, they say that you have to pay some sort of fee. They may disguise the fee. They may say that this is a processing fee or that you need to do, you know, some sort of credit check. But the bottom line is you should never have to pay a fee in order to get money. Uh, That's a scam. And so if if they ask you for some sort of fee, you just walk away. You just say no thanks. Yeah, and that's illegal, I believe, too, isn't it, to ask, demand a fee up front? Absolutely. I mean, but they're yeah. really good at disguising that, right? So you, especially for people who can't go to traditional lenders for money, this becomes more of, of what seems like a good place to look at. I mean, here they're guaranteeing you credit, uh, but they have to do a credit check, and so they need a fee, for example. So it seems a little bit more legitimate, but in reality, it's not. It's a scam walk away. Cryptocurrency scams, not surprised to see this near the top of the list. I, I think most people are pretty wise to this, right? Anything to do, anytime cryptocurrency gets brought up as an exchange mechanism here, is that a red flag to you? Well, I mean, there's a lot of risk attached to cryptocurrency. And, I mean, it's number two on our list. Last year it was number one on our list. Um, mm. And I think the, the Canadian Anti-Fraud Centre has issued a, a huge release because it is such a big problem in Canada. Um, because people enter into it thinking that it seems like an easy way to make money. Um, and, you know, the problem is it's, you know, it's, it's not secure. It's, it's, it really is something that you need to know what you're doing and you need to know who you're dealing with. Um, so I'm not surprised that it's on the list. I think where my surprise is, is uh, how many people are still, uh, you know, not taking the time to really assess where their investment dollars right. are going. Investment scams in at number four. What are some common examples of that? Investment scam is usually where someone offers you some sort of offering, um, and they're telling you that, again, you could make great money. It's that you haven't really done your research to really understand the investment itself. Uh, A lot of times what happens is um, it's, it's a secret or it's unregulated. They're telling you that it's a high, you know, if you don't get in bed, if you don't take advantage of it now, you, you might lose out on this investment. Um, but I mean, ultimately what you end up finding out is that the investment itself is a scam. So same ideas. If someone comes to you and they're offering you some sort of secret offering, or even if it's public, um, but they don't have the paperwork and then they're not registered or regulated with the, the appropriate bodies, I would suggest you walk away. Employment scams, number five, how do those work? Well, they seem like they're offering you uh, an employment opportunity. Um, They could be disguised in that, um, you know, you're working, uh, they're telling you that you're working at home. They may connect with you through some legitimate job placement sites like LinkedIn or other types of of sites uh, indeed as well, um, where they contact you, you fill out an application, you may even have an interview, um, they hire you, oh. you give them information, um, and then what happens is uh, at some point they either want you to um, buy equipment, they send you a payment oh. in advance and a check, um, and before you know it, you've sent them money to reimburse them for uh, you know, the pieces maybe that you didn't spend, and then you find out that that payment has bounced, and now you're oh, out of pocket, boy. or you've given them... I mean, another uh, type of scam that I've heard of with employment scams is where uh, you're you're told that uh, you need to you get high um, high uh, high valued items, so it could be like computers or or things like that, and you have to ship them elsewhere. Um, and so, really, in those types of scams, you're becoming a mule, so you're you're taking stolen goods and you're sending them elsewhere, and you don't even know you're involved in it. But both of these types of scams are are right. quite common, and and again, we would just 
uh, tell people that if it sounds too good to be true, if they're asking you to send money, you should never have to deal with any of those things um, for a legitimate employment opportunity. All right, let's keep talking about the top 10 scams of the year with my guest Simone List from the Better Business Bureau. Now let's talk about rental scams, Simone, and there are so many of these out there right now. It makes your top 10 list. Let's have a listen to this report from Global News reporter Kylie Stanton on a rental scam in Victoria. This one was a very sophisticated scam here. Have a listen. It was right downtown Pandora Ave. In Victoria's tight rental market, finding something that checks all the boxes is tough to come by. It was really nice looking. So when a listing like this comes up, you jump on it. Yeah, we were looking online and we ended up finding this place on Craigslist. This student, who does not want to be identified, and her partner made arrangements to view the apartment. The alleged landlord let them in using a key fob, brought them upstairs, and proceeded to show them around. Told us a lot about the building, discussed the utilities, like he had this whole story about it. After checking their references, the couple was offered the place. They signed a rental agreement and paid a $900 damage deposit, and later, half a month's rent, all in cash, as requested. It wasn't until moving day they realized something was terribly wrong. I took the keys, turned around, went to try them on the building, and they did not work. Realizing they had been scammed, they reported it and posted the story to Reddit, asking, any advice, any similar stories we can tell police? And multiple people um, commented and private messaged us saying, like, pieces of your story are exactly the same as what happened to me. Okay, Simone, that's a sad story. Very sophisticated scam there, and I'm I'm sure it's one you've heard before, right? Yeah, and and, and very unfortunate. I mean, um, it's the rental scams are new to the, our list this year at at number seven, um, and also in, you know in the in the eighteen to twenty four year old category, uh, it was in their top three uh, riskiest scams that that targeted uh-huh. that age group. Yeah, in this particular one, the Victoria Police got involved in this particular scam, and it turned out that the scammers were showing police uh, people an Airbnb unit. So what they did was they rented out an Airbnb for the for a day or a week or something, and were showing people around pretending that it was for rent. You know, I mean, that's pretty, that's very sneaky, but that just shows you how sophisticated some of these scams can be, right? Absolutely. I mean, yeah. and, and it's scary too, especially if you're if you're renting out your space. Um, I mean, generally, what we hear with rental scams is they're imitating legitimate listings um, and look for scammers are looking for houses that are for sale or for rent, so that they can use vacant property uh, and have some sort of real good reason why they can't physically show the space. Yeah. So what makes this story a little unique is, you know, they were entering the space and, and being able to show the spaces if they were theirs. Right. So it, it really is quite unfortunate. Well, yeah, that's what makes it so convincing. I mean, you're standing there right in the suite. The landlord is supposedly looking, showing you around, and you're, <laughs> you're seeing the place, and the whole thing is, is a setup. Let's check in with Tim French here, a producer on the show, because, Tim, this is kind of a global problem, including your brother, your brother tries to help people avoid these rental scams in London, right? Yeah, so in London, I think it's like 50,000 students come from China every year, and the number two scam in all of London is rental scams. So my brother found that there was this space in the market that they could help students avoid getting scammed or avoid getting uh, an unfair lease. So, So they created a company, he and a friend, the company's called Estate 2, and basically they help students... Um, navigate the challenges of finding a place, making sure that it's a real apartment listing, that it, it's got the utility set up correctly, that the lease they're signing is fair. Um, yeah. So that way students, because, the, you know, they're already dealing with enough stress of school, but they don't want to have them show up to London having never been there before and find that the apartment that they've already put a down payment on doesn't exist. Yeah, right. Thank you for that, Tim, because that sort of touches on something you said, Simone, that this is something that typically will target younger people too, right? Absolutely. And then then you throw in the fact that Vancouver, I mean, the Lower Mainland is a tough market with such low vacancy rates. Um, And so when you look at trying to find a hot commodity like real estate, uh, rental real estate, 
um, and you're not local, that can add a, a level of challenge. So the situation in London doesn't sound like it's that unique here. Yeah. Yeah, no, similar similar scams going on here, and too. And one of the warning signs, like we just heard in that report there about the people who were victimized in Victoria by that setup, very sophisticated. But, you know, once the landlord is saying, okay, I want a damage deposit, I want the first month's rent up front, and I want it in cash, is that, that's a warning sign, right? Absolutely. I mean, if you're going <laughs> to ask for cash, you should definitely walk away. Uh, you know, it's it's not worth the risk, and cash is untraceable. Uh, you know, really, if it was if legitimate, they would be asking you for, you know, a post-dated payment. You'd be filling out a lease agreement. So there's, there, there'd be more signs of, of, of that you're dealing with a reputable organization. They'd want to do a credit check. So they'd want, you know, they'd want to take some time. Okay, once again this year, Simone, an excellent list of the top 10 scams. So where can people get more information if they want to be aware of these type of these type of frauds? You've guys got it. What's the website they can people can check out? They can come to bbb.org. Um, we have the information posted on our website, and we also have some really great um, just general scam tips as well. Uh, if you go to bbb.org forward slash all forward slash scam tips, there's a great list of all the different scams um, and some information. And then, of course, if you are being exposed to a scam, whether or not you're a victim or not, we really want you to report it. Uh, we have a great tool on our website called Scam Tracker, and really it is just a reporting tool. Thanks a lot for coming on today. I appreciate it. Thank you. Okay, here we go now with the cost of living in Vancouver. We all know this is one of the most expensive cities to live in in the country. The The price of housing in Vancouver, the highest in Canada. Would you be willing to move away from Vancouver for a cheaper cost of living? A lot of people are doing that. If you take a look at the statistics right now, for last year, the number of people who moved from British Columbia to Alberta, the highest in 20 years. It used to be going the other way. There were more people coming from Alberta to here. Now it's flip-flopped, more people going from B.C. to Alberta. My next guest made that move from Vancouver to Calgary. Now, first, have a listen to this ad. You may be familiar with this ad campaign from the Alberta government trying to lure people, come to Alberta, live here instead. Have a listen. Hey, Vancouver. I never in my wildest dreams thought I'd leave you and move to Edmonton, but I had this great job opportunity, so I came here in 2019. And so far, I've been pleasantly surprised. The people here are friendly and helpful. The food scene is amazing. There's plenty of stuff to do. And I bought my first house for just over 400000 which is kind of like a cherry on top. Alberta is calling. Learn more at albertaiscalling.ca. A message from the government of Alberta. Okay, let's talk to a former Vancouver resident who made the move to Calgary, Maddie Wood. I encourage you to give her a follow on TikTok. She's very popular there. 1.6 million likes on, on TikTok. She has thousands of followers there. She did the move to Calgary and documented it online. Hi, Maddie. Thanks for coming on today. Hey, Mike. Thanks so much for having me. You bet. Okay, so Maddie, let's talk about your move from Vancouver to Calgary. Now, when did when did you live in Vancouver? I lived in Vancouver from September 2013 until September 2021. Okay, so that's a long but, time in Vancouver, yeah. Yeah, you bet. And and when did so let's talk about your move to Calgary. Why did you decide to make that move? So in September of 2021, I was living in a laneway house. Um, it was honestly awesome. It was a huge deal. Um, it was two bed, two bath, right off of Main Street. Um, I absolutely loved it. But I had recently gotten a dog. My partner and I both work from home in tech. And so slowly, those two beds and two baths started feeling a bit too small for us. Um, in order for us to find another bedroom, we were going to have to more than double our rent. Like I said, we had a killer deal already. So <laughs> everything else was just... Um, a little bit outside of um, our ideal budget. So we started looking at what our options look like. And we were in Calgary for a weekend in August and just decided we would, you know, try and find another place to plant some roots. So um, we started looking at houses, looking at what was possible from a space perspective. And we found a really good fit in Calgary. 
Okay, that's very interesting. Now, was it tough to make that move? I mean, lots of people love living in Vancouver, one of the most beautiful cities in the world. Was that a tough call for you? Definitely not as tough as I thought it would be. Um, sure. You know, there are certainly things I miss about Vancouver and living in the city. But uh, for me, I was personally very affected by the weather. I actually just heard your weather report and I was like, dang, that sounds uh, pretty rainy and gloomy. So for me, the, <laughs> okay. the move to sunshine was very enticing. And um, you know, I have family here. Um, and again, just space, being able to breathe um, and, you know, really set myself up for success financially was a top priority. So I certainly miss things about Van, but um, it was not as hard of a decision as I thought it would be. Okay. So the price of housing. So how much, what kind of difference was that? Like when you decided to relocate Vancouver to Calgary, what kind of difference did you see when it came to housing? So I'm actually paying the same amount um, as I did in rent for my mortgage on a house that is almost three times the size. Uh, wow. Of course, there's other other aspects like property taxes and all that fun stuff. Um, yeah. But if you just sort of compare rent to mortgage, I'm about one to one for a lot more space. Um, and I own it, which is great. So. Okay, so you're actually able to buy in Calgary, which is probably, did, did you think about trying to buy a place in Vancouver? Was that even possible to think about? Um, it was definitely possible longer term, um, yeah. but I also knew that in order to get the amount of space that we needed, we were going to have to continue renting for some years until we um, could afford to buy a house of the size that we needed uh, in the city. And, right. you know, I, I often joke that in order to get what we were, we were really looking for, we'd have to go sort of outside the city to, you know, Quitlam or um, Burnaby. And for me personally, um, making that move sort of outside of Vancouver proper wasn't enticing to me. Um, I didn't okay. love it enough to be just outside. I wanted to be in it or nothing. Right. You want to be in the big city. Like, are you living, are you living in sort of central Calgary now? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you, you like the, you like the downtown, like you like the busy big city. Yeah. yeah I wouldn't say I'm like right downtown, um, right. but definitely sort of comparable uh, distance yeah. wise um, as to where I was in Van. Right. Speaking of Maddie Wood about her move from Vancouver to Calgary, which she has documented on TikTok, and I, ab I absolutely give you a recommender TikTok to you. Okay, so Maddie, you talked a little bit about the weather. You didn't like the rainy weather in Vancouver. There's uh, sunnier days in Calgary. What about all that snow in the winter, though? That's got to be brutal. It's so funny because when I originally posted about some of my favorite differences between Calgary and Vancouver, I didn't even highlight the snow. Um, and the reason is because in Calgary, like the snow is a non-event. Um, you know, I've been following your guys' weather forecasts and I saw that it snowed. I've had friends who had, you know, trees uh, fall in their cars because of the snow out there. And I would just say, like, it's just different. Um, like our snow here is not wet. It's not um, world stopping. You know, it snows <laughs> and it's still sunny and life goes on and people can drive in the snow here. So it's almost just like a non-event. It is what it is. And while it can be, uh, you know, a little bit colder, um, yeah. that cold often doesn't last very long and it's accompanied by sunshine. So for me, um, it, it really does not bother me at all. If anything, it's great for the ski hills. So. <laughs> okay. Well, that sort of touches on an issue we've discussed on the show as well. And that is whether the snow in other cities like like Calgary, for example, is actually easier to drive in compared to snowy days in Vancouver because Vancouver drivers get a terrible rap. They're terrible drivers. They don't know how to drive in the snow. But hey, the snow is wetter, heavier. You got some big hills you've got to get up and down in Vancouver. Would you say that's that's true? That like it's easier to drive in Calgary snow than Vancouver snow? Yeah, 100%. It's entirely okay. different. Um, but I also think, to your point, that because of a lot of Vancouverites experience in that pretty, pretty crappy, pretty terrible snow, they think all snow is like that. And it's just okay. not. <laughs> it's okay. so much more pleasant when it's, uh, when it's dry. And um, yeah, you can actually drive in it. So uh, yeah, they definitely have a bad rep, but I, I get it. I've driven in the snow there too. And it's uh, not my favorite thing to do for sure. Right. Right. Okay. Now, what about living in the city of Calgary compared to Vancouver? Because I've heard from people who have said, yeah, you know, I, I kind of like the idea of being able to afford a house if I move to Edmonton or Calgary or something, but then I would have to live there. You know, I could have to leave British Columbia. I love Vancouver. I love BC. I don't want to live in this other city. So how do you compare it? Like, 
what is it like living in Calgary compared to Vancouver? At the end of the day, I think it really comes down to personal preference and like what you make of it. Um, of course, you know, Calgary and Edmonton have bad reps of having, um, you know, people that people don't like and just having a, a general, I don't know, what's, what's the word, <clears throat> sort of a negative, people have a negative outlook on the people who live here. And yeah. the people who live here have changed a lot. You know, there's been a lot of people who have moved here. And with that has brought fresh perspectives, lots of new restaurants, um, just like there's, there's so much more to do that I think people realize. Um, and so for me, like I'm, I'm really plugged into the like food and cocktail scene. So I check out new restaurants all the time. Um, I'm also really big on the outdoors. So I spend a lot of time um, hiking in the summer and the fall and a lot of time skiing in the winter. So for me, it's uh, proximity to the mountains and, you know, just taking in all that that city has to offer it's changing a lot and I'm just happy to be sort of part of that change because um, there's a whole new wave of people in Alberta who are really shaking things up. And mm. I don't think that that perspective of there not being anything to do in Alberta um, will stick around much longer. Okay. It sounds like you're very happy with the move. So would you say therefore no regrets? You lived all those years in Vancouver, decided to make the move. You're happy with it. You wouldn't go back. Wouldn't come back to Vancouver. That'd be fair to say. Yeah, I definitely don't see that on my radar. I love to visit, um, but I definitely don't see myself, um, yeah, living there anytime, anytime in the future. Have you met other British Columbians out there, like other people from Vancouver who made the same move? Um, not, not really. I, I mean, I guess right. not from Van, but uh, quite a few from the interior. Um, I think right. a lot of people in the interior are really torn. They're like, which way do I go, west or east? Um, and depending on their lifestyle, one makes more sense than the other. So. I've met quite a few folks from like uh, Kelowna, Kamloops, Nelson, those types of places. But um, yeah, it's um, I feel like there's a lot of a lot of tension between people who move from BC to Calgary just because they've been giving us so much black for so long. Um, but I hope that they're able to, to find their way here and that they enjoy it as much as I do. Right. Okay. Well, Maddie, it sounds like everything's working out very well for you there. Thanks for coming on to tell your story today. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks so much, Mike. Have a great okay. day. Let's talk about Chinese state interference in Canadian elections now. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau facing demands for a public inquiry. He has announced instead a review that will be done in private. Have a listen now. This is Justin Trudeau yesterday. Today, I'm announcing that I will be appointing an independent special rapporteur who will have a wide mandate and make expert recommendations on combating interference and strengthening our democracy. All right, let's discuss now with my guest, Charles Burton, senior fellow at the McDonald Laurier Institute, former counselor to Canada's embassy in China. And I'm very pleased to welcome him back. Charles, thank you very much for coming on today. Great to speak with you, Mike. Okay, J Charles, Justin Trudeau is under a lot of pressure on this file. I think that is very plain. We saw that yesterday with the appointment of this independent special rapporteur, as he described him, to look into these reports of Chinese interference. So let's talk about that first. What, what are your thoughts on this move by the Prime Minister yesterday? Well, I agree. I think that he's, um, you know, very much... Uh, painted himself into a corner with this thing. And certainly when you saw the facial expressions of uh, Dominic LeBlanc and Melanie Jolie there, they really looked crestfallen. I think they, I think they realized that their ship is, is sinking and may not be able to be saved. But this, um, you know, this special rapporteur thing seems to be a device to try and, uh, and slow down the investigation of what's really going on. Uh, maybe they hope that interest will wane in it, but I think that this matter is not something that Canadians just want to let go. We really want to have information on exactly why it is that we haven't seen any action on dealing with Chinese um, interference in our elections in 2019 and 2021. No diplomats expelled, no agents of the Chinese regime brought up before a Canadian court. And I mean, the 2019 election was four years ago. So, you know, how do you justify that? And this special rapporteur, which, you know, I don't think Canada's ever had anything called a special rapporteur before, 
But yeah. we don't really know what the mandate is. Will this person have access to any secret documents that he or she wants to see? Will he or she be able to, to interview everybody involved, including people in the prime minister's office like Katie Telford? Um, you know, who is this person going to be? Uh, is it someone who has, you know, the nonpartisan credentials and uh, skills to be able to undertake this kind of task? There's just so many questions there. And I think that the prime minister is likely to drag out the answers because it appears that that there's information he just doesn't want the public to know about. Yeah, the idea of a, a special rapporteur, I agree with you. I suspect most Canadians have no idea what that is or have ever heard such a term. And you touched briefly on this about what sort of powers this investigation would have, what would be the mandate, could whoever this person is who is appointed, can they compel testimony under oath? Do we know any of that? Has any of that been disclosed? No, nothing. I mean, you know, we just know what the prime minister says. And and obviously, we want to know. He says that he will be naming the person shortly. Um, but, you know, we don't know what the terms are and you know who if he doesn't if he doesn't give them the ability to actually do the job then um you know i think a lot of people who might be eminent canadians who would have the capability to get to the bottom of this in a fair and impartial manner would not take it on so you know it, it there's just too many unknowns here but i think in general by not allowing for you know a public inquiry with uh, someone who has full access to all the confidential information and the ability to subpoena people to to testify under oath, um, you know, if the prime minister is not going for that, uh, then you know, I think that it really marks the beginning at the end for the Trudeau prime ministership because you know people are just too skeptical that uh, he's not being forthcoming about what he knows and why he uh, you know didn't direct much more vigorous response i mean even the the national um uh security and intelligence committee of parliamentarians that he set up in 2017 has been complaining that you know they issue these reports secret reports we don't know about them but they give them to the prime minister and then nothing has been done to uh, to respond to to their recommendations so you know why is it that that uh such a matter of of great national concern with regard to the integrity of our democratic process is not something that the prime minister has been prepared to to act on in the kind of vigorous way that it deserves. In other words, it's not a big deal. You know, we just have to get the Chinese to stop doing this. Why aren't we doing that? Speaking to Charles Burton, Macdonald Laurier Institute about Chinese state interference in Canadian elections. This is a weird spot for the NDP leader, Jagmeet Singh, I think, because they have a governing deal with the liberals to, they're propping up this government. At the same time, they're trying to act like an op opposition party. So Singh has called for an independent inquiry into this. This clearly falls short of that. Could this... So let's go back to your thoughts on the future of this government. Could this bring the government down here? I, I think that inevitably it will. I, I can't imagine that the NDP can feel very comfortable in supporting the government in what seems to amount to a cover-up of potential government malfeasance or at least, um, you know, outrageous neglect of um, a national security issue. So I, I just think that eventually the NDP will have to abandon, and that, that could lead to some kind of confidence vote in the House of Commons and, and uh, an election coming forward. And we have, you know, it's March now, and they... The government will 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 um, cease meeting for the summer sometime in June. So there's just a few weeks to to till they till they reach that resting point. The question is, can the government continue to defer this uh, for that length of time, or will something happen that will force the NDP to to you know basically fish or cut bait with regard to the Liberals? Right. And uh, you know, you wonder if the NDP are concerned that that things might come out about them that they wouldn't like the public to know about, you know, what, like they just, with a, with, with a vacuum of, of information, you know, all sorts of um, speculation comes to the fore, including from people like me, because we just don't have any other, other means to understand why China has been allowed to, to continue to do this kind of thing election after election. Right.
Last question for you, Charles. I'm, I'm aware of going through my mind here right now is that Justin Trudeau has been through lots of different scandals over time and just seems to kind of survive them and just keep winning re-election despite, despite the troubles he's been through. What is your read of, of where his head is at right now? Do you think he's worried here that this is different, that this is a, a more severe crisis he's facing here? I, I think so, because, you know, that uh, press announcement last night it went on for close to an hour, and he was all over the place, um, you know, giving justifications, even somehow bringing the, the, the two Michaels matter to the fore, suggesting that he was responsible for, for getting them out of Chinese prison, um, you know, even though, from my point of view, they were in Chinese prison for three years too long. And uh, it, it really didn't have much to do with our government. It seemed to be more about the United States deciding to, to strike a plea bargain with uh, with the Huawei CFO Meng Wanzhou. But, you know, there's all sorts of this kind of, I think he complains too much sort of stuff from Shakespeare that he's claiming this, that, and the other thing. But what he's not doing is actually doing what we want, which is to have an impartial judge go through this matter and come up with the facts and deliver it to Canadians so that we understand exactly what's going on. And if it turns out that there are good reasons why the government has not been able to, to deal with Chinese government-sponsored uh, interference in our democratic process, well, let's know that, and then we can move on from there. Okay, well, we're watching it closely, to say the least. Charles, thank you for your time today. I appreciate it. Uh, continuing story. I hope we'll be talking some more about this. Talking now about the continuing reports on Chinese state interference in Canadian elections. Justin Trudeau under a lot of pressure here. He announced that in review now by a special rapporteur. I think Trudeau's in a lot of pressure here. Have a listen to the Prime Minister speaking yesterday. There have been questions raised about our democracy, our national security agencies, our parliament, and even our sovereignty. These questions strike us to the very core as Canadians. Okay, so there are continuing demands for a public inquiry. Instead, we get this review by a special rapporteur. I think it falls short of those demands. Let's check in with Matt Gurney now, columnist at theline.ca. Very pleased to welcome him back. Hey, Matt, thanks for coming on. Hey, man, good to be here. Okay, Matt, first, let's start with this special rapporteur. What exactly is that? I think most Canadians don't even know what that is. I don't know. Like, it's <laughs> going to be whatever the Prime Minister decides it is, right? Like, um, I, I wrote my column today where I basically said, like, the only honest answer I can give you and give the listeners and give anyone is I don't have the slightest clue what's going to happen, right? So the Prime Minister announces last night we're going to get a special rapporteur. And he says, you know, he or she, some to-be-determined imminent Canadian, will have a mandate to kind of review everything that's been going on and to make recommendations that the government says it will abide by. Okay, so that's like the talking point, but like who the person's going to be, what the mandate will be, how long they'll have to do it, what powers they'll have to do it, who they'll have to work for, who they're reporting to, all of these really kind of important details we have no idea about like what happened last night was the prime minister deciding for political reasons because he was tired of getting punched in the face by yeah. all these news stories he was like well i'd better say something so he gets up he blows up my dinner hour because it was six o'clock <laughs> here when he starts talking my kids were starving and the prime minister talks for like 45 minutes and i come out of it i really don't know what the hell we're doing yeah yeah, and obviously I think Trudeau or, or any politician in a similar jam would all want the same thing. They want the story to go away. They want to kill the story, get it out of the news cycle, delay and deflect, and and maybe the Liberals hope that this announcement will accomplish that. But what is your read, Matt, of this story? Like you say in the news business, this is the story that has legs. I don't think it's going away any going anywhere. What do you think? No, I'm with you. And, you know, look, I don't have any inside knowledge about this. Like, I know the reporters who've been reporting this stuff for Global and the Globe and Mail. And I've been, like, needling them, going, come on, spoil your, you know, give it all to your good buddy, Matt. And they're like, yeah, yeah, Gurney. Like, you know, they have a laugh about it. But, no, these guys are pros. Like, they don't leak what they have coming out. So I, I wake up every morning, and I, I read the news, and I find out what's coming. But here's the thing, and this is a guess, but I think it's a reasonably educated guess, the prime minister is trying to shut down the leaks. He doesn't yeah. want 
any more leaks, right? And the RCMP says they're going to be looking into it. Okay, let's assume, assume that the leaks stop. They just stop cold. That's not going to help the prime minister unless the Globe and Mail, Global News, and anyone else who might be looking at this has already fully reported out the information they already have. And I don't think they have. And I would add to that that I also don't think the leaks are going to stop. When you add this together, the likelihood is that we're going to keep getting more stories. And every story is going to open up new avenues for other reporters to start asking questions. One of the most interesting stories we've seen on this front was Stephanie Levitz in the Toronto Star. She had a story a week or two ago about how the Conservative Party was responding to electoral interference in 2021. And that is a story that I think has fundamentally left us better able to understand the problem. And it's a story that only exists because of what Global and the Globe had reported. That's the way this stuff works. It's a snowball going down the hill. The more stories we get, the more stories we'll get. I don't know. Like, maybe the prime minister can kind of go, hey, well, yeah, you know, another bad news story today. But, hey, we have a special rapporteur and we have a process and we've got some committees. If the the bad news keeps coming, though, I just don't think it's going to work. How big, okay, we just got two minutes here, Matt. How big of a crisis do you think this is for Trudeau? I just spoke to Charles Burton, who thinks that this is an existential moment for Trudeau. He thinks this He thinks this could potentially bring the government down, especially if, if Jagmeet Singh decides to, to pull his support for the government in this, in this governing deal. Do you think that he's Trudeau is that cl- close to the edge of the cliff here? Could this bring the government down or force him to resign? You know what? This is going to sound like a dodge, but this is the most answer, honest answer I can give you. It might. And what I mean by that is, like I was saying a minute ago, if this keeps up, if we keep getting story after story after story, this could absolutely take down a government. It could take it down a lot of ways. It could cause internal dissent. They, they throw out Trudeau. The NDP could pull their support. It could also just knock like half a percentage point off the 50 seats in the Toronto area. They won by like a few hundred votes. And that's a stampede to the Conservatives. Like, there's a lot of ways this can go wrong. I just don't know yet if it's going to be existential because for the first time starting yesterday, they began actually seriously fighting back. In a week or two, we'll know if it's working. And I think then we'll get a sense of what kind of trouble he may or may not be in. Okay, Matt, great column on this one today. I recommend it to the listeners. Thanks a lot for coming on. Anytime, man. Thanks for listening to the Mike Smith Show podcast. Can't wait for the latest episode to drop. Tune into the show live from 9 to noon on 980 CKNW. Want to reach out to me personally with a question or comment? Send me an email, mike at cknw.com. Thanks again for listening. For most of us, crime is something we see on the news. We never think it could happen to us until it does. Loved ones are gone, and for the survivors, the scars will never heal. I'm Nancy Hickst, a senior crime reporter for Global News. And on this season of Crime Beat, I'll take you inside some of the most serious crime stories I've covered. Season six of Crime Beat is available now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and all podcast platforms.